Thanks for joining us today for the Post Traumatic Faith Podcast, a place where trauma, hardship, and challenge meet faith and hope for the future. Here is your host, Jill Riley. Welcome to Post Traumatic Faith. Season three has arrived. I am so excited to share with you this season new guests, new topics, and some great conversations. Thank you so much for joining us, and here's today's guest. Welcome to Post Traumatic Faith. This is Jill Riley. And today from Seattle, I welcome David Lutz. Hey, Dave, how are you? Oh, do you know my last name is actually pronounced Lutz? Lutz. Um, okay. I've gotten that since I was in third grade. And uh, there are actually a lot of people out there who would pronounce it Lutz, but it's just, it's, it's, it's the long. I stand corrected. No, I, I, <laughs> I should have told you that before. Um, so, Dave, I got to tell you, this is the last episode of season three of Post Traumatic Faith. Wow. So you are the bookend. So I, I'm, I feel honored. I feel I, honored. I'm glad that we were able to, to get you in because I'm looking yeah. forward to this conversation. And tell congratulations me, to you. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, that's we a, just. That's a big accomplishment. Yeah, we just recorded our hundredth episode, and um, oh my god, and we just released our hundredth episode, and and so um, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited if we go all the way through March. That's so great. I think there's something about the third year that really is it. Kind of there's something about that that just is a, almost concretizes something, makes it makes it yeah, solid. really really great. It, it feels a little bit like you know I'm kind of in my groove a little bit more sometimes. Yeah. So, but we'll see. We'll see. So oh, tell me a little okay. bit about all the letters after your name. Oh, <laughs> okay. So I am a, um, I have two master's degrees. One is a master's of divinity. Um, and one is a degree in, um, marriage and family therapy. And, um, uh, I got my, my master's of divinity at Princeton theological seminary. And I got my um, counseling degree at Antioch university in Seattle. So that's what those okay. degrees mean. Yep. Where is Antioch in the Seattle area? It is right. Uh, it, I think it's still in the same place. I think they may, may, may have moved, but it was in, near Belltown, which okay. is downtown, downtown in the area right near the monorail system and the, the Space Needle and all of that real close to Very that. So good. right in the middle of the city. I did my master's work at Seattle University. Which is up on Capitol Hill. Yes, and... up, up on Pill Hill. I have such, I have colleagues that went to Seattle U and um, they are just fantastic. Um, yeah, I, just, I really loved it there. Oh, that's just great. Yep. The, the, yeah. Uh, I, when I was in, when I worked in ministry, I had several, um, several people that I had talked to over at Marquette, which is 
uh, mm -hmm. is another Jesuit school. So just a yeah. great group of great group of people. Well, I love I love the Jesuits and I love their approach to education and mm -hmm. and and faith. And my son-in-law is a Franciscan. And so we always Ooh. have we always have these uh conversations about the you know the Jesuits and the Franciscans and and uh, it, it gets quite lively sometimes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well I would be lost in that conversation fairly quickly, but I but I but I <laughs> I, I love it. Yeah. So um, tell me a little bit more about yourself. What do you do now? What's your sure. interest? Sure. Um, so I was a college pastor for six years. And um, and then when that when that came to a close, I went back to school, got my, my degree in counseling. And I come from a family of counselors. I, I've joked for years that if I can live through that, I can live through anything. It was just <laughs> counseling was in our family. And um, and so I, I have a, I opened up my practice, um, about 18 years ago, 19 years ago. And I would say that one of the things that I really loved was I had a, because I came from Seattle and I came from the church community in Seattle, I knew a lot of people in still that were still in ministry. And so I would see a lot of people coming through their own faith journeys and i think mm -hmm. that that would be something that i would have senior pastors actually send people to me because they would know that i can that I, I love to walk people through that process of questioning and um when things are crumbling and it's hard yeah. and it's and it just feels scary and like your handholds are being taken away from you so that was a real passion line. why did you switch from um full-time vocational ministry to counseling was that always your passion or was that an evolution of of vocation sure i think there were a lot of reasons and 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 the the when i've looked back on that that was such a i i am still in touch with a lot of the the people that i that were in that ministry it was such a wonderful time what i found was as I re our ministry grew really fast and really big. And what I, what I, what I realized later on was I am, my skill set really is in, in when things are smaller, I do really well. I, I'm much, I'd much rather have a conversation with Jill and then have a conversation or try to organize something for a thousand people. That's just not right. my skill set. And I, I, I really remember slowly, um, getting more and more burned out um, and getting more and more, I think, depressed at that time. Mm -hmm. I felt, I also felt an enormous, there was a, I told a story to uh, another person the other day that was to say at that particular time, I was really anxious to get married. And mm -hmm. I felt like that was a very, to be in ministry and and have that be under the microscope was really, really um, awful for me. And mm -hmm. so all things, I think, and I, I just, I remember starting to have more resentment towards the, the institution of the church, the way the church, I ended up feeling like a cog in a machine. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the more that, that that took hold, I think the less care I gave to some of the decisions that I made. So I, 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 I've, I've said, I think it was just time for me to go. And it was yeah. a really good, it was a good mutual decision. I, I don't, there was a, it was a really rough time. It's the only time in my life where I ever had a day where I thought, I don't think I want to live anymore. It was mm -hmm. that, it was that hard and coming what, out. 
What yeah. was it other than working with large groups and that not being um, exactly in your wheelhouse? What was it that you think drove you to um, that kind of despair? I think I think just feeling the sense of um, I, th- I well for uh, to me really I, there is an element of burnout that I take really seriously with people now. Mm-hmm. I have people that come to me now that are on a quick they're on a quick path where I can see that they are not regenerating their energy levels at a, at a, at a rate that they need to, to be able to keep going. And, and I, and I do, but eventually um, it's like um, there's, there's a theory called polyvagal theory. That's, that's in our, in our world right now. And they talk about a dorsal state where you almost like give up and, and I believe it. And I think that that's a lot, that is, that is, I was very, um, um, I think I, I was quickly going into that state and, and then there were some other things that just, there were some other things that just go into a, a decision like that, where that were out of, you know, my control, the other things mm-hmm. the church was going through and just cultural shifts and things like that. Um, so did you yeah, so. want to be a counselor specifically for marriage and family or um, was that just the degree that you got or did you anticipate working with individuals? You know, I what before I went into ministry, I had I had thought I would be a counselor. I my dad changed careers when he when I was um, he also went from ministry to being a counselor. So I've I've joked for years that I'm not all that original because my dad did <laughs> roughly the same thing. And I went through that phase with him when he was or not, there was just talk, he would just talk with me a lot about systems theory and things he was learning, and I was fascinated by that. So I thought. I thought, and that really was, I don't know about you, Jill, but there's a part, I, when I was in graduate school, I worked at REI and I was the therapist of REI for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, people would just, it's just kind of who I am right. and um, it's, I, I would do it for free if I wasn't doing it for a living. I just, it's just okay. in my nature. I'm so interested in people and um, I'm very interested in um I think people, I, I have a real heart for, for the, for the Christians that I know that are so hard on themselves. And I always have had that. That's been true from all the way through ministry. That's been to, to, through to now is that I just, I, I, that's my book is called right. The freedom for the ragged saint. And the ragged saint really is for me, the person that is just, they are trying so hard um, and they're just getting worn out. And um, they beat themselves up. Their inner voice is the harshest voice in the room. Is usually their own. Yeah. And they they absolutely. say the mean, meanest things to themselves. And I have a passion for helping people have a shift in that internal voice that's speaking to them. I, I tell them that all the what. Go ahead. What made that shift for you? Um, in trying to undo some of the um the messages that were in your head um what what helped you to make that shift Mm -hmm. well one is i don't know about you jill um but for me being away from the church for a while and i tell the story in this other book that i wrote a necessary heretic i tell the story about coming back after a few years of just silence i just was so upset with god and so this feeling of being this feeling of god betraying me the god that i was taught betraying me 
and and really feeling like I had leaned out in faith and had the branch cut behind me. That's how it felt. And yeah. and that feeling of betrayal just led me. Um, I would go to this, I, I told you a little bit about this in earlier conversation, but when I'd go to this compline service in Seattle at not, and sit there and be be quiet and not stand when they would have us to recite, I can't remember whether it's the Nicene or the Apostles' Creed, out of like a silent protest. I was, I was mad, but I'm not going to leave. And I think it was when I went, I, one day I went back and thought, I'm going to put in some of my old Christian music and listen to that. I didn't listen to it in three years. And it was like listening to the messages. I remember this one song that talked about the disease of self runs through my veins. It's a cancer to my soul. And that mm. was the line. And I remember feeling sick in my stomach that, that I had, I used to sing that song out loud, sing that song with, with I, that I believed that myself was a disease, mm. that it's a cancer to my soul. And that horrified me, that idea that, that someone would ever tell me that and that I would believe that I am so awful that if I am left to myself, I will be like cancer. And that kind of getting some distance when you're inside, when I was inside that world, I don't know about you, Jill, but when I was inside that world, there's just stuff that I don't even, I didn't know. It's like asking a fish what it's like to be wet. Yeah. I just, you you hear songs about blood and you hear songs about, you know, you're so awful that a human be as if a human being being sacrificed has ever paid for anything. The whole thing was just like, wait, what? I believe that there had to be a human that somehow that makes something ever right. And somehow the whole story just came out of it. It was almost like for you. Yeah. Yeah. It was just like, there's this can, this is gross kind of, and also just so damaging to my spirit. So now we call it deconstructing our faith. We call mm-hmm. it uh, many different things, but that's kind of the in vogue word right now. Yeah. So what you're talking about is you began deconstructing your faith. And yeah. was that a mm, was that a painful process or was that a hopeful process? Ooh, good question, Jill. Can I say both? Yeah. Um, I would say both. I mean, it, it, there's never, there were never lonelier Sunday nights for me mm. because it feels like the God that I used to know and talk about and pray to and hear back from was gone. I remember going through that time and I was writing in my prayer journal and I remember just sitting there and all of a sudden quieting down and going, I'm here by myself. Mm. And I closed that journal and put it on my shelf and didn't touch it again for three years that's that was lonely and hard um mm-hmm. on the other hand i start when that i really do believe that the spirit is a stubborn spirit and that the spirit goes i get it and i you're welcome to a club you never wanted to join and you'll never want to leave because right. once you go through this you'll never want to go back to what you had i mean there's I was talking with a young man today who's going through the similar process and, and he's one of my dear, dear people that I see. And he said, you know, sometimes I kind of miss when I didn't know what I know now. Mm-hmm. And I got, I got that. I got that. Yeah. Um, but I would say hopeful because once the reconstruction happened, what the way I, the way that I did that was I just said, okay, 
the thing that I want is what's I want real. I don't want religion. I don't want, I don't have any use for that anymore. Mm -hmm. So what would I, if you're standing on a plank over the ocean and they say, start telling me what you believe or Jill goes into the ocean. Mm -hmm. And when the moment you're wrong, Jill goes in, mm -hmm. that was my grid. What am I willing, not just to, to risk my life on, but what do I think I would stake your life on? And right. do I, and that started with, do you think that there's an actual God? Right. I don't know. Cause the costs are a lot higher now. And in that idea that I, I had so many, what I call now luxury beliefs, like, are you pre-trib or post-trip? Well, that's who cares? You know, really, I mean, it was just these things. It's simple to say any of those beliefs don't cost me anything. Right. So I started thinking in terms of, of just at a minimalist level, what are the three or four things that I came that I think are that I think are probably true? Not that I believe. I don't use that word very often anymore. I think it's true that there's God. I think it's true that somehow in Jesus there is some unique window into that God. I think somehow love is a really big deal that beats out death. Um, those kinds of things. Those are the you know. I belong to the Evangelical Covenant Church, and one of the ways they talk about their theology is closed fist and open hand. And these are the things that you're saying, I'm going to close my fist around and I'm going to hold on tight because they're real. Yeah. And the I rest of them, the rest of them, I'm going to hold with a gracious and open hand love and that. see what happens with it. And I love that too, because mm. it feels like it feels like when you boil mm. it down and now I'm, now I'm overlaying my experience onto no, yours, please, but, please. but I feel like when you boil it down, there are mm. way less things that are closed fist than what we might've once thought. And mm -hmm. as, as a minister myself, um, mm. you know, there were so many things that mattered and so many things that were of the utmost importance. And the least thing of the thing of least importance was taking care of myself and got it and that that crushes the mind body and spirit completely love shuts that. it down when I you do that. that love that i love that and and really goes against the great commandment i mean it really is absolutely right i mean there's a real sense of of not really listening not really believing jesus was right. serious when he said what he said about that which i really yeah do. and and there's so many people that in church are working themselves into a feverish feverish pitch trying to be good and trying to do the right thing mm -hmm. but it's driven by guilt it's driven by um an instinct that was that was placed within their their consciousness somewhere that said if you don't work you don't you don't eat basically mm. right love it and i think it's hard i think that there's such a stepping back and hearing how many times in subtle ways am i told that i'm awful mm -hmm. that that how, and that I cannot be trusted. I cannot trust my own thinking and I'm awful. And it's like, well, if that's true, why should I take care of myself? I mean, if I'm not worth anything, why should, I mean, I, I, this, mm -hmm. I can see this. If I, if I, on my own am a piece of junk, why take care of myself? Right. And why, what's the, what, what you know, and matter of fact, if I do, is that some sort of, you know, self-worship 
Or is that something that could be shamed to be taking care of yourself and say, you know what, I need restoration. It's like, gosh, you know, maybe you don't quite get the message that you're a piece of garbage that needs every thing to make things work. Right. Um, Does that resonate with you? Yeah, it does. And, um, you know, my, my desert experience, I, um, I, I ended up crashing and burning. I'd planted a church and um, mm. was living life and, and just doing all the things and all the speaking engagements and guest speaker and conference speaker and all of that. Mm-hmm. I was, I was doing all the things and I ended up crashing and ended up in a mental hospital for three months. Okay. And, mm-hmm. and then I mm-hmm. came out and um, mm-hmm. for about two years, I was almost an agoraphobic because mm. I couldn't handle the stimulation of being around a bunch of people and around and mm-hmm. it took a long time. And it took me six years to go back to church and to and this is a place that I had dedicated my life to that I had you know spent 25 years of of vocation with and I just couldn't I just couldn't do it I just couldn't figure out where God was in the middle of all of this it took me it took me a while so so once Mm. you once you decided your your foundation those things that you hold with a closed fist Mm. um what did you build on top of that what what kind of faith blossomed out of that well first of all i so my heart when you were telling me your story just now my heart just was like was just i don't mean to sound like the counselor here but i mean i just feel honored that you would tell me that one and two when you say it took me six years to get back there's a part of me that goes I don't know that most people are going to understand how excruciating those six years can be and how 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 almost almost at a physical I call it brain pain like literally Mm -hmm. physically having your head hurt your heart hurt your soul hurt Mm-hmm. So I'm glad you made it through Jill and what you're yeah. doing now to bless people with that is just fantastic for me. So I don't want to walk past that. Um, no, thank you. That's, that's a, that's a, that's a holy sacred story for me. And, um, and uh, I am honored to be in the club with you and, um, <laughs> and meet, meet another club member. Uh, <laughs> um, so uh, so, so now wait, what was your, I don't know if you remember, what was your question? I, now? What, after you, you, the things that you came to, to decide, is there a God? Mm-hmm. Jesus somehow is a, a pathway mm-hmm. to God. The spirit mm-hmm. moves. Yeah. Once you decided those few things, what kind of faith blossomed out of that? You know, I think people get a kick out of whenever I speak, I, this is name dropping. One of the guys that really hit me was a really big impact on my life. And I only knew him for a couple of years was a guy named Brennan Manning who wrote a book called Ragamuffin Gospel. This was Ragamuffin years ago. Gospel. Yeah. And the only reason I happened to know him was because I was right out of college and I was working in a summer camp and my job was to go pick up the speakers and take care of them for the week. So I had nothing to offer him, but he, his blesses, he was so great because he just, we became friends and we would just take these walks together on his breaks and he'd smoke his cigarettes and, and you talk. And I remember him, I remember him saying to me, you know, these evangelicals are so hard on themselves. And he goes, and he goes, and they think that I am, he says, he, he said, these evangelicals think I'm one of them. 
because I'm just going to let them believe that and keep preaching about grace. And I remember wow. that. Yeah. And just keep preaching. And you would have, I remember sitting at the conference, he did the college week for, for this, this camp. It was called Forest Home down in uh, Southern California. And you'd see big old 200 pound football player guys just weeping because they were suddenly being told your love, your love, you're not a piece of garbage. God, you have things in you that are beautiful. You have things in you that are, that are, that can bless. Um, and to, almost to start, and it's one of my big things now that I think was a big thing for Jesus, this idea of the good parent God that mm -hmm. sees you and loves you just like a parent would love a child and not shame them and not tear them down and not expect them to just produce and produce and produce. And that would that would love them for their quirks and for their strengths, and not just right. because they make them look good. The idea that, that 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 there's a God that wants to be, you know, the center of everyone's attention. It was just this humble message from him really impacted me, and that is the same way that I preached. That when I speak, for me, I can see people. They, I just, I don't tell them what I don't believe. I just tell them this. I keep repeating this same thing that I think Brennan did and somehow they don't care. They don't hear about it. They, it's like, it's like nobody realizes that I just was fairly heretical in what I told you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you really knew your theology, you would know that I just said something that goes very much against the core of some of this evangelical. Um, well, you, you touched on something that I think is really important. And mm. that is that um, the way we were parented, and the way that our environment was formed mm. when we when we were young has a ginormous impact mm. on the way we see faith and the way we see God and the way we understand um we understand love and grace and all of those things mm. and you know i used to tell um i used to tell people that for me um, God was never the daddy God that people talked about, you know, mm. pop, pop, Papa God that, cause I didn't mm. have a dad. And so that didn't resonate with me no. at all. So and so, good. and so, I mean, I think that's a really important point that sometimes people miss is that the way that they were, that the way that they were parented mm. will directly impact the way that you, that you see faith working in your life. Mm -hmm. I think you're right on with that, Jill. And it's it is the problem when when I talk about the good parent God of original Jesus, this idea of that there was a Jesus that was be, be that there was a Jesus before there was the layered over Jesus. That mm -hmm. that for me is just years and years of theology being I was talking about like a piece of furniture with 18 coats of paint. It's like the mm -hmm. you strip all that away, the simpler Jesus that I see in like the Sermon on the Mount. Um, when he's talking about this good parent God, that that is very hard for people. When I was just talking to someone yesterday, where they were telling me the story of of just being um, randomly hit by their by their dad, and I cannot fathom what that would do to somebody who then is told that God is like a dad. Mm -hmm. um, how how traumatic that could be. Right. Um, and how could you ever trust a God who's a, who's being equated to a dad when your own dad was violent like that? That trust right. he trespassed like that. Exactly. That scarred your brain. You know, traumas to me is not just a 
it's a physical thing. It's altered, right. you know, your brain's been altered until it gets that healing. And so I think your point is very, very good. I, I never call, I always, I always talk about a good parent and then having to re you have, we have to, we have to go out and find some, we have to go out and look or look around and say, go find a few, go find that mother who gets mm-hmm. down on her knees when her child is hurt and soothes them consistently that the child knows that when I fall down or when I get hurt or when I feel mm-hmm. scared or when I feel bullied, I can count on my mom to get down eye to eye level and look me in the eye and tell me that she loves me, hold me. There's some, there's a physiological reaction that happens when we're hugged. Go find some of those wit- those witnesses because that is to me is the, is the kind of parent that Jesus was, tr- was trying to get us to see. Well, if we don't have Absolutely. that. Absolutely how you got to we've got to go we're jesus was so visual picture this picture this Mm -hmm. picture this and it's like the concept it's like go find some of those parents that you go i think that's what it was it's not what i had i I think that's what it was you know does that resonate with you yes it does it does i'm wondering what you tell people that are just kind of beginning on this journey and um, are mm. just just maybe starting to open the box, not even unpack it yet, but saying, I don't, I don't know if this is real. I don't know if this is true. I don't know mm. what is true. What do you tell them? Oh, that's such a good question, Jill. Um, I'm reflecting on it right now because there's been so many people that I'll walk through, they'll come to me and I can tell that it's almost like, it's like they've felt a couple of tremors in the mm-hmm. earth. It's the, the earthquake hasn't really come yet. Right. And I think, I, I think Jill, I'm going to be curious to see what you respond to this with, but um, with your experience working in the church, but I think for me, um, Jill Briscoe was one of my favorites. She's actually the, she was the, one of the women that, in ministry that, that uh, I just think she was she was the reason why I changed my mind when I was very conservative. I used to be very conservative when I was in seminaries, very conservative. Mm-hmm. And she was the one when I heard her speak, made me change my view on women in ministry um, completely because it was just so empirically true that she was fantastic. Just the spirit was so evident in her for me. Mm-hmm. But Jill would t- tell this story. And I, and I know that this story has been told. And I don't know if this is actually true, but she talks about this idea of seeing um, a... Uh, the process of the caterpillar trying to get out, you know, or the new butterfly trying to get out of its cocoon, mm-hmm. the cuckoo, and wanting so bad to snip that, like looking at it and going, it's not going to ever make it. And so I'm right. going to cut that cocoon away and help it. And, and her point was, you can't do that because it's that struggle that builds the strength in the butterfly's wings that's going to let it fly. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's exactly a true thing or not, but it's, I like, the, I, I at least like the idea of it. That the person like the going, image. yeah, the image for me is powerful. This idea that I, 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 everything in me wants to take this struggle away from you because you look like you're not going to make it. How many mm-hmm. parents have felt this way for their kids? Like, oh, I just want to take this struggle away from you because I don't know if you're going to make it. And and empirically, some of them, some kids don't. I mean, that's the mm-hmm. hard thing. It's not like oh, everyone. But the idea for me is when I when I have someone coming in, they're starting to struggle. One thing for me is to get really is to relax. Like mm-hmm. to get to get calm with their anxiety for me is really important. I'm not afraid for them. I'll actually sometimes even say that. I'll say the only person I think that is afraid for you right now in this room is you. 
I'm not afraid for you. I really, the fact that you're asking these questions, the fact that you're, you know, there's so many people, how many people do we think probably started having these questions and just shut them down and just lived out their life with their second grade faith and never grew an inch. And here this person is starting this process and for me to quiet down and then just to almost a visual, because I've been, I've come through my path, but I haven't been through their path. So I have to see each path as completely new and go all the way back and ask them, I don't know this is a this is gonna answer your question, but almost it's almost like my my purpose with someone, and I, I'm with your the way that your presence is so clear on this one for me. I, I'm sure this will resonate with you, but it's it's almost not so much about what I say. I try not to say things like, "Oh, I know exactly how you're feeling," or right. I try not I try not to quickly give them a new <laughs> way of seeing the cross or whatever. That's not the point. My point more is that our I think it's an archetype that when we go from this stage of our faith to the next stage of our faith. James Fowler writes a great book called Stages of Faith that I think is really good for people. Right? right? You've, you've seen that book. And that when we're going through those stages, it's an archetype. It's true that we that we are going to probably need someone to travel with us. Right. And I get to be that for some, you get to be that. That is to me, the high, one of the highest honors is to be someone's co-traveler right. for their stage change. And, and yeah. Yeah, talk to me about what you do. The Jesuits um, say that that God is a God of withness, that it's Mm. God God who walks with us through the valleys, that it's God who walks with us over Mm. over the over the you know mountains, but it's it's not that God abandoned us in the valley. It's that he's Mm. with us when we're there. Mm. And I think that's a really, that was a really important image to me Mm. to understand that even when it's dark, I'm not alone. And, and Mm. that, that was really, really important to me to know. Mm. Um, But the other, the other thing that brings to mind as you were talking is that, you know, in Western, in Western thought, we're so linear, right? We're so beginning, middle, end. Mm. And, and in, you know, Asian thought, it is the journey. It's the, what happens. It's not necessarily the destination. It's the journey and what happens there. And I think, I think to be a part Mm. of someone's journey is a very sacred and holy thing Mm. Um, to be a part of, of that, um, of that experience and not necessarily even as a guide, but as someone to give witness to what's happening is so important that is so great jill i'm going to steal that i love that to give witness to i think that's fantastic i don't know how yeah. to explain the power of that but mm-hmm. i agree but i i can testify that 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 somebody says i i i have seen this i have been mm-hmm. with you in this i have heard this yeah. that there's something about that that almost ratifies it or at, i don't know it's just part of the secret it's like the it's like flour in a cookie. Like you, it's not right. it's, it's just if you have. It's just a. It's a an ingredient that 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 witness. I like that. Yeah, yeah, really yeah. So when did you start writing books? I started writing books um, about five six years ago. I suppose I knew I was gonna 
I just I had I finally had a group of guys that um they were in a group with me and they said that that had all come because they want they just they were going through their their faith issues and and um and they said will you just tell us what you believe and I had been with them for a long time and I said okay I'll tell you this is where I've come to and when and so we spent a whole I can't remember it was two, it was maybe a two or three two or three groups where they would bring their be a lot like what do you think about the Bible is the Bible is the Bible inerrant? Well, here's what I think. And I hadn't, I rarely do that. They would tell you that that would be the, that would be something I would not be prone to do because that's not the point for me. Um, and once I got done, I'll never, I, the guy knows who he is. He said, you need to write, you need to go write that down. And, and I, he was one of the guys I gave a first, my sent him my first copy because he was, he was so instrumental in me finally to making that leap. Um, but I, but I'll tell you, I love it. The process of um, writing for me and then writing again and then writing it again and combing it down and combing it down and finding my voice. I, I, you know, I knew my voice as a, as a therapist or counselor. I knew my voice as a speaker. I didn't know my voice as a writer. Mm, and what I, and that would, that took me a while to find. And it wasn't till it was, I was, I had to, my, I, I, I was, I started writing. I, I had to go through a surgery and I had to write, someone brought me a, an iPad and the iPad's editing is so terrible that I had to write these really short sentences, <laughs> sentences with my thumbs. And I, and it was like type, 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 type. And I found, I was like, this is it. Once I found that was like the, I don't know. It was the divine moment of finding the way that I want to write. So when you read my books, you'll see like the sentences are extremely short. There's a line in between every sentence. It reads super fast. And I, there's not a word in there that I have not spoken out loud or edited it all by my, my mom was an English teacher. And she said to me when she goes, well, have you edited it speaking out loud? And I said, no. And that set me off on a long, really beautiful. I love it. That trail of really hearing it. Right. Right. That's a different so, kind of process, bringing it into your brain by hearing it. Yeah. 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 So that was a, that was, that was the process for me. So I've, I've yeah, I did one interesting. in 2018 and then this one four years later. So the two books are Necessary Heretic and Freedom from the Ragged Saint, right? Uh, freedom for the Ragged Saint. And freedom then, for the Ragged, ragged Saint. Yes. And where do people find them? You can find them both on Amazon. That's the, okay. well, that's the place that's been a fantastic platform for me to, um, and then I've got an Instagram freedom for the ragged saint on Instagram. Um, I am loving, I am finding a, uh, I'm finding a real love for what I'll, what sitting with people. And then some insight that came, came up between us, just like you and me talking today, like I would probably go do a post about being witness to like, that's mm -hmm. so great. And, um, and, and, kind of crafting that so I, that's a, been a big a big new thing for me to do these to do to have an instagram account i am not mr social media at all <laughs> and so my my i have two stepsons and they look at me like you're on instagram and i'm like yep and i love it so it's that's super fun so people can find me there too and i, I have, have a website. 
I have a young media guy. It's actually a little a nephew of mine, and um, oh, good. we were we were talking about we were talking about whether what I needed to do media wise to promote and blah blah blah. And he said, Jill, you've got to get on TikTok. And I'm like, I am 50 years old. I am not getting on TikTok <laughs> and doing little dances so I can get, attract a crowd. It's not going to work that way. <laughs> so I like social media, but I think that's that's the that's the breaking point there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you on that. If I ever have to get up and do an eight second dance to promote my stuff, then I'm not going to, I just didn't mean to let it go. <laughs> you got to have, you got to have boundaries, you know? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> That's a line for me. So, yes. well, Dave, it has been awesome talking to you. Yes, and Joe. I just appreciate your insight and, um, and I, I really look forward to reading your books. I apologize for not having read them ahead of time, oh, but, gosh, um, but yeah, I look forward to reading them and, um, thank you for being the last guest of this season. I am so honored and Jill, honestly, this is such a joy and I hope we do it again. Absolutely. Well, you have a good night. You too. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. You can find Jill at JillRiley.com, on Facebook at JillRiley.Author, Twitter at JillRileyAuthor, and Instagram at JillRiley.Author. Also, feel free to send Jill an email at Jill at JillRiley.org. Thanks for listening in and have a great day.